If you've not been here, we've been in Jonah. We've been working our way through Jonah. We've learned some things. So to just kind of speed everybody up on the process, we've learned that Jonah was a real wretched sinner like us. Uh, so if you want to know who Jonah truly is, just go look in the mirror. You'll see yourself. But according to Scripture, Jonah was an old Hebrew prophet. Jonah had a true calling from the Lord, and God told him to go to Nineveh. He said, go east. Jonah said, nope, I'm going to go west. Jonah tried to run as far as he could from God, all to find out he was running right back into God. Then we found out that Jonah, when you say Jonah, who is Jonah? Everybody jumps up and says, rah, rah, rah. He's the one that got swallowed by a fish. We found out that fish is just a small, tiny piece to the story. Uh, Jonah, it's not all about the great fish. The great fish was just used uh, as a tool in the process of getting Jonah's attention. Then we found out that Jonah, once he got spit back up onto the land, he made a three days journey into one journey. And one day, he knew he had to hightail it because the Lord was on to him. And he had no way of getting away from the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, every place he went, Guess who was there? Our sovereign Lord, our King of Kings. He was right there. So that'll speed you up to date. And now today we are in Jonah chapter 3. Last week we did verses 1 through 5. And we ended on verse 5. And that's where I'm going to pick back up this week. I'm going to actually, we're going to cover verses 5 through 10. Go on and try to hopefully prayerfully end out chapter 3 this morning. Unless God says otherwise. But if you have your Bibles, go on and be flipping to Jonah chapter 3. If you don't have your Bible, a smartphone, Kindle, iPhone, anything, Samsung, Android, anything that has a Bible app on it. If you don't have one of them, it will be on the monitors behind me. But would ask out of reverence for the Lord Jesus Christ and his holy word this morning if we could stand for the reading of God's word. <laughs> Woo, I'm going a mile a minute. Starting in verse 5, it says, And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published it through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles... Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may, relent, may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, this morning as we open your word, oh, Heavenly Father, how I ask that your Holy Spirit would just pierce and penetrate the saints of God this morning. Father, may your word come alive to us. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would hide this pastor behind the cross and let your word go forth. None of me and all of you. And we pray these things in Christ Jesus' name and all of God's people said, 
Amen. You may be seated. So there's several things that takes place in this passage as we're going to look through today. You're actually going to see three of them. And I don't want this put up yet, but one will be belief. The second will be repentance. And thirdly, we will see God's grace. Jonah has been a story of twists and turns and Every time you think it's bad, God extends grace and something else happens. The story takes a turn. But this morning, the first thing I want to look at is the belief. The belief. Look with me at verse 5 real quick. It says, and the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. As we had talked about last week, when a prophet had declared judgment was coming because of evil, it was understood that the judgment would take place if repentance did not. They knew this. Once once it was declared that evil was coming, they better repent or it was going to happen. So now the prophet's warning was an extension of an invitation for the Ninevites to repent. And the Ninevites, they would take this warning and invitation to the very heart. Now, it wasn't Jonah that they heard. It wasn't Jonah that they believed. It was God. You notice it said, believed God. It don't say Nineveh believed Jonah. They believed God. They knew this was going to come. They would hear what the prophet is saying, but they would recognize the very voice of Almighty God in the way it should be with all of God's messengers. No matter who it is, whether it's Jonah or if it's little middly middly me, when you hear a warning from God that is coming from the scriptures, you should take heed. Don't listen to the messenger. Listen to the one who sent the messenger. It's never about the preacher. It's about the author. It's always about God and God alone. So many times we'll see people give these cute little punchlines and, and, and they'll fluff it up when really they're not giving heed to the very warnings that God is sending down. And many of us will say, I don't like that kind of preaching. That's too hard. That don't make me feel good. Newsflash, good. I'm glad it don't make you feel good. That's the Holy Spirit trying to let you know something. That's the Holy Spirit. It has nothing to do with your pastor or the preacher or the teacher of the day. It has everything to do with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that is the one who convicts and penetrates. And the day you don't have conviction, the day that you can live like hell, act like hell, smell like hell, you're going to go to hell because you are not sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. It's not my word. It's God's word. Just the messenger. And I love when God reigns from heaven and and, and says, from a decree and a declare, from the most high to the least, warn them, let them know, guys, look around. Hell is breaking loose around us all the days long. And what are we doing? We're turning a blind eye to it. We need to learn from the prophet Jonah. 
we need to understand the warnings. And, and it's, it's noteworthy to notice that Jonah's sermon was only eight words long. And even though God spared him, Jonah still didn't have a change of heart. His message, eight words. He don't tell them there's a way out. He don't even give them a notion that there's possibly a way out. No, what does Jonah say? He says, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. He don't say, cry out, call unto God, repent, relinquish. No, Jonah wants them dead. He don't care. He just knows they're wretched. He knows what they've done. Notice he, he didn't even mention forgiveness here. Why? Because Jonah didn't want them saved. He wanted them to die. He wanted the Ninevites dead. And he hides from the very fact that while our sins reach as far, God's grace still reaches farther. He don't extend that to them. He just says, 40 days, guys, you're overthrown. Doom a gloom. Doom a gloom. And see, Jonah, he had just received God's very own mercy. But he still wasn't willing to share that with the Ninevites. He received the very touch of mercy and grace from God Almighty and wasn't even willing to share it with them. Which moves us into repentance. This is one of the beauties of this story is that the Ninevites repent anyway. They didn't need to hear it from Jonah. They didn't need Jonah to tell them to repent. How did they do this? They called for a fast. They knew what to do. They put on the sackcloth, which was a sign of repentance. It was a very way of humbling themselves before God. And then the sackcloth, it was the ashes that they set in, which was a humbling way to go before God. And then the sackcloth was actually in the context of repenting, of saying, I am grieving because I have done wrong to you. I have wronged you. Look with me at verse 6 real quick. It says, the word reached the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Now, no one in Nineveh or outside of it would even picture an Assyrian ruler doing such a thing. No one could ever imagine a king standing up and just ripping everything off and sitting down into the ashes and throwing on the sackcloth, leaving his throne so God can be on his throne. Some of us need to do that this morning. We need to get off of our thrones and let God be on his throne. We need to go before a holy God and cry out and lament and say, Lord, how have I wronged you? Can you search my heart, O oh God? Now, see, we have the God who has crafted a, a storm and commanded a giant fish. He is doing something even greater here. What is he doing? He is changing the hearts of sinful human beings. This is greater than a fish swallowing a man. This is greater than him hurling a storm. 
This is human beings actually looking to God, knowing their wrongness and having their hearts changed. The prophet Ezekiel. They, they had a heart of stone, which, which the Lord reaches in and turns into a heart of flesh. Some of us, we walk around and our hearts are still stony. We're just, hmm, I'm saved. Are you really? Where's the joy in you? Can you show me how you've been redeemed? Can you tell me about the joy and the glories of the Lord? Or are you just going to sit back and say, I'm not going to hell. Not me, but I'm going to say, Jesus, he saves. He saved me and he can save a wretch like you. Because there's joy deep within my soul. Not just some stone-faced killer. You're happy, you're excited. You see, the king and the people's drastic and instant humbling of themselves is, is proof. It's proof of the matter. But yet it, it, it's still the king goes further. You say, well, Pastor William, how does the king still go further if he's done sit down in ashes and sackcloth? What else could he do? So glad you asked. If you look at verses 7 through 9, it says, And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles. Now, I want to stop right there just for a second. When, when I read that, I'm not going to lie. The little kid in me thought about the movie Shrek. When the little noble guys, and he, he writes it out on a scroll. It says, by the decree of the king and his nobles. But if we look into the text, it says, watch what he says. The king of Nineveh here. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. See, the king is so desperate here because he knows the evil that they have done in the past. See, I don't know if you understand what the Assyrians and the Ninevites did. What they would do is when they would chop somebody's head off, they would impale it on a pole and they would put about eight heads on this pole and make your friend carry the pole through the city. Or else they would take the prisoners and what they would do is they would stretch them out and skin them. If you think that ain't bad, they would chop off their limbs and they would leave one hand and one of the Assyrian guards would shake your hand while you're dying. The king knew how ruthless they was. So that's why he said, the violence that is in your hands. Oh, could you imagine? Even the livestock here. We'll have to cry out and share in this citywide plea to God. Why? Because Jonah had told them there would be destruction, and this destruction was coming not only onto men, but the whole city. So the king knew this here, 
And without God's intervention, without God Almighty intervening, the cattle, the sheep, the goats, the men, the women, and the babies all dies. Could you imagine starving a cow or something for a couple days, hearing it crying out? You know, the, the cattle owner, the herdman, the shepherds having to hear their animals crying out to a holy God because they knew how ruthless it was. Imagine what Nineveh sounded like. In Louisville, how do we sound? Nothing like Nineveh. Nothing like Nineveh. You don't hear us crying out for the babies that's going to the slaughterhouse. You don't hear us crying out when we see on the news that another baby's been gunned down or a mom's driving and she's pregnant carrying her child and she gets shot and killed on 264. What do we do? We say, oh, it's another one gone. We need to be like Nineveh. We need to get in sackcloth and sit in ashes and say, Jesus, please have mercy upon us, oh Lord. Please. Isn't it neat how the Old Testament lines up with 2021? It's still relevant today. Now we would have people that's animal lovers say, that's wrong to make your animals fast. No, it was a sign of brokenness. That's how broken they were. Can you imagine? Just think when you hear an old hound dog howling. Imagine a whole city of animals crying out. The caretakers would be reminded of the very severe punishment that they were deserving of. The innocent animals. They didn't sin. They're innocent. But yet they had to pay a price with them. They wanted to show God that they truly meant it. Notice the king doesn't defend Nineveh by saying the people doesn't deserve God's promised wrath. The king never said that. He tells them to cry out. He actually, no, he actually acknowledges it. He acknowledges that the evil that is on, and the evil and the violence that are on every man's hands. He never said, no, they didn't do that. So many of us, when we go before the Lord, we say, well, Lord, I didn't, I didn't do that bad. I didn't do that. I didn't say I hated that person. I didn't cuss them out. I didn't flick them off. No, God, I didn't sin against you. Yes, most of us have. And if anyone in here says I'm not a sinner. The Bible proves you wrong and says you're a liar for the truth is not in you. For we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every last one of us. So therefore he insists that they do more than pray. They must rid themselves of their sinful deeds. Every Ninevite must individually keep up with Old John the Baptist's words in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 8 where John says, Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Bear fruit in it. Or maybe he echoes Paul's preaching when Paul says, Repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance over in the book of Acts. Which moves us to grace. 
Grace is a merciful pardon. So who knows? God had promised Nineveh's destruction. But watch grace at its best. Look with me at verse 10. When God saw what they had did and how he had turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it at all. God relented. And Nineveh knew that God was merciful enough to send them a prophet in his warning. It gave them hope, and that hope was now fulfilled. Look with me at Isaiah 55, verses 6 and 7. It says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. So who knows? Nineveh knows. They know God's compassion. They know his grace, his pardon. Nineveh is spared. They are spared. And this is perhaps the greatest revival that all history has ever seen. God has thoroughly, humbly, and violently, uh, humbly excused a violent city of their wrongs. He resurrected a spiritually dead city. How he needs to do that to us today. See, the way God used a weakened Jonah is a very foreshadowing of how Christ accomplished his work of redemption. 2 Corinthians 13, 4 says, For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. See, in the cross, Jesus proves the great power. Philippians 2, 6, and 7, as I'm closing. Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But yet he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So Christ, he accomplished a cosmic rescue. The greatest feat in human history. His magnificent defeat on the cross guaranteed the very elimination of sin and death. It would be no more. No more sin, no more death. Every wrong will be righted. Every tear wiped away. Gone. So what if the preacher said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand? What if the preachers put out the warning? Would you? Would you take heed to it? Would you believe if I said, do you see the resemblance of Nineveh 
with us today? Or would you just say, you know, that's, they're horrific. We wouldn't dare do something like that. No. We've done it. And we're living in it. And we continue to live in it. Would you believe that God's judgment is upon you if you don't repent? It is. The very wrath that Nineveh was going to get, you will get unless you repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the one who is and came and is still alive today. Jesus, you better know without a shadow of a doubt that you truly believe in the finished work of the cross, that the transaction, that the price that was paid, that the penalty that you was bought with a price, and that price was blood. It was redeeming blood. It was blood drawn from Emmanuel's very veins. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is Yahshua, Yahweh. He's Jehovah, Rapha. He's Jehovah, Elohim. He's God. And he came down off of a throne to save wretched sinners like me and you. And he did it so that we would no longer have to be separated from him. Because it's truly what he created his creation to be. Back in Genesis it says all was good until the fall. And then we took on sin. The day you come out of your mother's womb is the day you took on sin. So let today be your day of salvation. Let today be the day that you hit your knees and you cry out to Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, I don't have it all together. I don't know what I'm doing, but I know I must repent and believe in your death, burial, and resurrection. I must confess you as my Lord, not just my Savior, but my Lord of all. And then start your walk. His grace is sufficient. And his blood was enough. So dear Heavenly Father, as we get ready to stand and worship, Lord. God, I just ask that you would bless us, Father. If there's someone in this room that does not know you, sweet King Jesus. I pray that today be the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not later on, but today, right now, in this moment. Father, we pray all these things in Christ Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. Let's stand and worship.